In the name of God, our Creator, Redeemer, and Advocate, Amen. Jesus said to the crowd, To what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. As we've heard already, those two verses are from today's parable. In a few minutes, I want to connect them with a contemporary parable. But first, let's begin with Jesus' parable about the children in the marketplace. I want to share with you what I've learned about that parable since I first heard it growing up in Sunday school. I remember that it used to be called, and maybe some of you remember this too, it used to be called the parable of the peevish children. But it's not really about the children, is it? The moral of the story, or the takeaway, is really about us adults, right? It's about us adults going around and acting out as if we were children. Don't be like a peeved or peevish child. That's the real point, isn't it? And here's the definition of that word, peeved, from the dictionary. A feeling or mood of resentment a feeling or mood of resentment. Wow. Do we have a lot of peeved adults in our world today? And I don't mean just one generation of peeved adults. It's not just my generation of baby boomers. Although we are as loud as we want to be in the public square. Rather, there is among us nowadays a feeling or mood of resentment that is so widespread, so ubiquitous, so contagious that it makes prisoners of more than one generation. It's like we're intergenerationally peeved. You can hardly say it, it's so complicated. That's right. It's a transgenerational peevishness. Wouldn't you agree? From baby boomers like me to younger adults, I dare say. But I want to be careful here not to point the finger at any particular group of us today. You know how that goes. There's nothing to be gained by outing somebody, as we say, or putting anyone on the spot. And after all, I'm a Southerner. That means I default to being nice. Nice even to a fault. That means, like I was taught, that my attitude is, if you can't say anything nice, if you can't say anything nice, come on. 
All right, don't say anything at all. You got it. My people, my people, you're my people. All right. But sometimes, oh, my people, my people, sometimes you've just got to say something about what you see going on around you. Sometimes you've just got to speak truth to power, as they say. And that can create a double bind for us niceness people. Some of us would rather be able to just say something like, oh, bless their heart. You know, just to keep a little civility going. Now, as your rep representative southerner here today, I'm going to represent us. I've learned a little strategy for this. It's my best practice for maintaining some civility and politeness while at the same time indulging in some truth-telling. I've found that if we nice people refer to ourselves more than anyone else, you know, just tell the truth on ourselves most of all, well, then maybe you can get a few other people to nod their heads and admit something like, I resemble that remark. You know, as Groucho Marx said famously, instead of, I resent that remark. So in a few minutes, I'll try to be self-critical, and let's see how that plays out here today, by the grace of God. And speaking of God, that brings me to the second parable I want to share today. You've likely heard it before, told as the parable of a drowned believer. But I'm going to tell it as the parable of the drowned preacher, just to keep outing myself, as I said, outing myself as your preacher here today. It's the story of a preacher whose church got caught in a great flood a flood that was overwhelming the whole town. As the water level was rising, he took his stand on the front porch of the church and prayed to God to deliver him. Then one of the townspeople came by in a canoe and said, get in, preacher. We got to get out of here. But the preacher said, no, I'm staying right here. I have faith. God's going to rescue me. So the canoe paddler went on by. Next, the water level rose to the church balcony, and then someone else came by in a motorboat and called out, come on, preacher, grab a hold of this rope and we'll get you out of here. But once again, the preacher stood firm. Don't worry about me, y'all. God's got me. So the motorboat went on by, too. Finally, the water rose up to the steeple. The preacher was perched up there with the cross when a helicopter came by and a state trooper shouted out, Grab the ladder, preacher. This is your last chance to get help, sir. But a third time the preacher exclaimed, The Lord's going to save me. Just you wait and see. Of course, the preacher dies and goes to heaven. Thank God for that. The first chance he gets, he turns to St. Peter and exclaims, 
But, sir, I never stopped believing. Why didn't I get saved from that flood? And St. Peter answers, My son, we sent you a canoe, a motorboat, and a helicopter. Why didn't you get in? Yeah. You're supposed to laugh at that point. My people, my people, I know I'm in the right place. That's a modern-day parable, and you've likely heard it before. And it's fun to tell it today because it has a similar form as the parable we hear in today's gospel. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. And just to make it plain, a similar structure in that contemporary parable would be We sent two boats for you, and you wouldn't get in. We sent a helicopter for you, and you rejected that too. But let's have a little fun here. That parable is most often told as a way of expressing the tension between two different perspectives. The tension between saying, God helps those who accept God's help in ordinary, naturalistic ways, on the one hand, versus saying, God helps those who look for God's help in extraordinary, supernatural ways. But why not both? Why not live into the tension, learning when when and where and how to accept God's help on the ordinary human level, and also when to expect God to show up in extraordinary, even supernatural ways. So coming back to me as the preacher in that contemporary parable, I might play devil's advocate. I say that ironically. I hope you appreciate. I might play devil's advocate and push back on St. Peter the St. Peter portrayed in that story. What do you mean you sent two boats and a helicopter? Did you run out of angels? You couldn't send an angel? What do you mean you sent two boats and a helicopter? You mean you couldn't spare a few saints out of heaven to give me a hand? What do you mean you sent two boats and a helicopter? You couldn't give time off to one of my relatives up there or scout out anybody else in all of heaven to answer my prayer and save me that way? What do you mean? You sent two boats and a helicopter? Is that all you got? You see what I mean? Now we're getting to a peeved preacher a peeved preacher who can also do some theology and do some pushback. Pushback that brings me, me to being your peeved preacher today in today's social context. A peeved preacher who can do some theology and also some pushback. Now you get to indulge me, as I hinted before, And this is the part where you get to see me revealed like one of those peeved children in the marketplaces of our country. Here's my pet peeve 
and in this very peevish season of our lives in these United States, this is where I get to exclaim, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. Here it is. Wait for it, as Bishop Wright says, wait for it. We tried being woke with you and you did not dance. We tried being unwoke and you did not mourn. Now, you wouldn't have any reason to know this, but that term woke goes all the way back to the 1930s when African-Americans created the term and used it to say, stay woke, stay woke. It emerged as a slang term to mean waking up to the issues of race in our society. But not just waking up one group of people against another. Becoming woke was a call to people on both sides of the racial divide. You can hear an echo of that appeal to both sides some three decades later in a prophetic declaration by the writer James Baldwin. In 1963, in his prophetic collection of essays called The Fire Next Time, he wrote the, for the following poignant appeal to his fellow citizens, black and white. If we, he wrote, if we, and now I mean the relatively conscious whites and the relatively conscious blacks, who must, like lovers, insist on or create the consciousness of the others. If we do not falter in our duty now, we may be able, handful that we are, to end the racial nightmare and achieve our country and change the history of the world. That was Baldwin's hope in 1963. I'm reminded of that verse from our Old Testament reading from today, the prophet Zechariah calling us prisoners of hope. Calling for Baldwin, calling for relatively conscious whites, he also appealed to relatively conscious blacks to be woke, woke together and then co-create a new consciousness among others that together we might recreate our country. That's how wokeness evolved in its original ethnic context among African Americans. I would dare say that in that context, it was a civic equivalent of our Christian love ethic. As Baldwin expressed it when he appealed to us like lovers, he said poignantly, like lovers to insist on a relative consciousness among ourselves that we might co-create that consciousness among others. Wokeness as a kind of consciousness then, as a way of being awake to solidarity with others, that's the way the term developed in its own context. 
So you can imagine how peeved I am, therefore, peeved and grieved as a child of that era, to hear the term misused and abused, whether by people on one side or the other side of our culture wars, people who use the term to mean something exactly the opposite of its intended appeal to achieve our country and to change history. It's in that context and from that perspective that to be unwoke is to be relatively unconscious of the solidarity that binds us to one another as co-citizens, as human beings like each other, and as partners in a shared commonwealth. And for that relative degree of unconsciousness, we should rightly mourn, as if to say, we tried being woke with you and you did not dance. We tried being unwoke and you did not mourn. But here today, here today, we have something we could, we could dance for. We could dance for this as love slaves of Jesus Christ, so to speak. Here today, we have Jesus calling all of us in, through, and beyond our culture wars, on whatever side of our cultural divides that we find ourselves, calling all of us. Here today, we get to hear a different tune or to wail for a different failure than the ones that are calling out to us in the marketplaces. For Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. For today's gospel does not end with peevish children or their adult counterparts. Rather, it ends with Christians who are children of light, as Jesus calls us to be, childlike and naive enough to actually practice Jesus' love ethic, the ethic of loving one's enemies, the ethic of praying for those who persecute you, the ethic of not returning evil for evil. So, returning now to my personal disclosure, my transparency and vulnerability, Jesus' good news does not leave me in the lurch, does not leave me with a double bind of being a pacifist aggressive. Ha ha. When I get peeved with those whose views differ from mine, like St. Paul in our epistle reading for today, I get to delight in the law of God and my inmost self, even at the same time as I see in my members another law at work within me, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of my death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, indeed, in Jesus we are, each and every one of us, rescued, provided with an amazing, miraculous, and gracious breakthrough, as Jesus promises when he appeals to us, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes, instead of succumbing to being peeved about people who are peeved about us, let us together embrace the one who empowers us to seek solidarity instead. And then, by the supernatural grace of God, we may be able to achieve our collect appointed for today as we pray, O oh God, you have taught us to keep all your commandments by loving you and our neighbor. Grant us the grace of your Holy Spirit that we may be devoted to you with our whole heart and united to one another with pure affection. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.